Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. What is good, Night Nation, as we welcome you into another edition of Two Nights and One Podcast, and this being the first week in which we come to you following a night loss on the season. As Scott Adams here, along with former UCF Knights standout Leger Doosable, and coming up on this week's edition, we take look, uh, take a look back at that stunning home loss this past weekend the bounce house against Tulsa. We'll also dive into to the injury front. It's really starting to take its toll here for these nights, just three games into the season. And then we'll look ahead to Memphis and that'll come the night's way, not this coming weekend, but next weekend on the road out there in Tennessee. But dudes, let's go ahead and dive in. Let's get to it. The long, long winning streak, 21 games, finally gets halted this past Saturday night in what was another extremely long football game, this time over four hours, and Tulsa now makes it four in a row over the Knights. They get past UCF 34-26, to dudes. Yeah, it's it's tough, uh, Scott, to even think about it. You know, we had the, the home winning streak, and we had so many aspirations for, for bigger plans this season um, as far as the college football playoffs. And uh, all of those are kind of on hold right now. And uh, right now, we just need to get the next win. And you talked about it. We we lost a lot of players in this game. A lot of players are banged up. And uh, it was just a rough game. We talked about this during the show last week. We just don't know what it is. Something about Tulsa. They've just always had uh, UCF's number for the last couple of years. And Again, they came back to bite us, and, and a lot of it was self-inflicted, as we know, watching the game. Uh, we can't have as many penalties as we had, we had, especially, you know, pre-snap and post, post-snap penalties is what's something that we harped on going into this week, and, and that really came back to bite us. I believe we had over 18 penalties, and that's not winning football. You can't, you can't do that and, and expect to win a game. And do so many people here at the conclusion of that football game on Saturday night, and, and rightfully so, you want to look directly at those penalties and say, well, that was the reason why you lost the game. But, but dudes, there were so many different plays throughout the course of this 60 minutes of football that led to UCF being in the position that they were. Injuries, turnovers, missed field goals, uh, or missed field goal, rather, singular. Yeah. And, and yes, the penalties definitely became part of this football game. 
but also targeting calls that, <laughs> that you will ever see on Stretch Cradle. And so you combine all of these into the sum of the parts, and then it's easy to see why UCF played the way they did, put themselves in the position that they did. But oh, by the way, to start to start even before this game, we knew how difficult a game this was going to be, despite the record that Tulsa finished with a year ago. Yeah, and, I, and me and you talked about this, Scott, on our, our pregame show and uh, earlier in the week on this show, we actually discussed this. You know, people were kind of overlooking Tulsa, and I was like, look, guys, this team has had not just the hardest schedule in the America, one of the hardest schedules in all of college football last year. And also, the schedule makers didn't do them any favors again this year. If you look at the first three opponents this year because of COVID and them not being able to play Arkansas State and uh, I think one other team, their first three games are first teams that were in the top 25. Look at it, Oklahoma State, who a lot of people think can win the Big 12. And with Oklahoma not playing well and Texas not playing well, they look like they're in the driver's seat to win the Big 12 this year. They played them in a really tough game. And they play us. And then they got Cincinnati. So it's like, this team has had a hard schedule, and they've been in dogfights every one of those games going back to last year. So I knew this was a team, more specifically defensively, that really scared me because if you look just on, you know, on paper, everybody was huge on that defense, and they played real a real physical brand of football, and you can see that on Saturday. Now, going back to, to specific plays, you even talked about it, the stretch you know, offensive, um, you know, targeting, something that's rarely called and actually happened this past weekend in the NFL was actually called up, uh, I think, for the first time this season. Um, that's that's a bang-bang call. You know, it's on the ref. But UCF had already put themselves in, in, in predicaments before that. If you look at it, I think the turning point of the game, honestly, Scott, was right before the first half when they complete three passes, all going over 19 yards, to score a touchdown with less than, well, I think it was less than two minutes on the clock, three passes, consecutive passes, uh, we give up explosive plays going into half already up 26 to five. They cut the lead to 26, 12. You give a team that's lifeless, some life like that. You can't do that. And and we had them on the ropes right there. If we go in on defense and stop them in that two minute drill, get them off the field and we get the ball at half, you know, and then we saw what happened and the ensuing kickoff. We return Johnny Richardson fumbles the ball in the kickoff return and they get the ball back. So it's just a game of momentum and we let them stay in the game. And that was one of my biggest points. This past week is you can't allow a team that you're better at, better than to stay in the game because it'll come back and bite you. And that's, again, what happened to UCF this past week. Dudes, the first 28 minutes of football there in that first half, this UCF defense, which currently stands number one in the nation in terms of takeaways, they had produced three of them. They were going into the half. You just mentioned it with that double-figure lead, double-digit or two-score lead. And, but even then, even then, you're going into halftime still with the lead, and you're about to get the football back. So, yeah, we're talking about the penalties and how they have become they've become an issue because right now they are last in the FBS with the amount of penalties overall with 45 through three games from halftime to the, the fumble recovery. And I even say that that stretch creedle play was a momentum shifter the way we were moving the football down the field. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's what I, what I just said, you know, you could look at certain plays and, and not just the penalties. Yes. The penalties aided in it, but everybody knows that football is a game of momentum and the momentum shift happened, I would say, right at that second quarter. Like you said, the defense was playing, you know, amazing in, in the first half. And uh, I think what also hurt us, as we talked about it the, the week before, um, when we played Georgia Tech, um, when they turned the ball over, Florida State didn't make them pay by scoring on those those turnovers. 
But we had, I believe, three turnovers in the first quarter, and we only had, I believe, what nine points or something like that. We didn't turn those, the, you know, those those turnovers into touchdowns. I think the one we did on the, the Jacob Harris catch, but other than that, Tulsa went out there and did what they were supposed to do and got the ball back to their offense, and we didn't capitalize. I think if we go up twenty-one nothing, then it's a whole different, you know, game and outlook. I mean, I think Tulsa is reeling a little bit more. Like I said, they never felt like they was really out of the game. So they were comfortable. Zach Smith was comfortable. Like, he was under duress the whole first quarter. But other than that, Scott, I don't think he was really touched after the first quarter. Our D-line and, and linebackers didn't really affect him at all. And, you know, Randy Shannon switched it up. And I think he did his best job uh, at the end of the game in the fourth quarter. And me and you talked about this on the sideline. When I was like, we got to make Zach Smith make tight window throws. We got to go into cover two. He burnt us in cover one. We we had a freshman corner out there, Corey Thornton. And he hadn't really been tested this year. And, and Zach Smith them on that one drive alone right before half and then after that we were going man and he was just picking us apart and then we, we threw in some fire zones some blitzes and uh but the cover two it really makes you be a you know efficient as a quarterback like i told you on the sideline it's a 10 to 15 um uh yard window um it's like five yard window where you get you have to fit a pass in between the corner and the safety so we, uh i feel like he went to that a little bit late and uh also i just think our team Totally, offense, defense, special teams didn't really adjust whether whether it was the weather or their 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 coaches maybe adjusted a little bit better than us, but we didn't we didn't adjust well at all this game. Dude, it felt it, it had that deja vu feel to it there in that that second half from a year ago out there in Tulsa on the road. You go into the half, you have the lead, but you don't feel good about the lead, and you let the, the, this team hang around, and then they get the touchdown there in the third quarter, which becomes this now huge swing of momentum as they went into the half with the touchdown score. And then in that second half, you get outscored 22-3. to And I don't want to be, and I know you don't want to be, a night apologist by any means, but the injuries that were sustained in this football game have, have really put – UCF or in that second half behind behind the eight ball and if we had a football game coming up this weekend on Saturday we might have a third of the starters not playing based on what happened this past weekend but yeah but that's that's the times we're in right Scott if you look around the nation there's 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 been student athletes that have had to sit out because of COVID there's there's been injuries you haven't had as much time and training camp in the offseason to prepare for this season so injuries like I mean it sounds like say are part of the game but UCF isn't the only team dealing with this. I mean, there's there's been games that I've seen on, on TV where they've had to, you know, put offensive tackles out there at tight end because they didn't have enough tight ends on the roster. So it's not just us dealing with this. I mean, the nation the nation is dealing with this. And that, that's something that we knew going into the season. And we talked about our depth, but right now our depth's looking less and less, you know, less and less powerful because of all the injuries that we had. Now, was that because of the wet conditions? Who knows? Or just because, you know, the, the wear and tear of the season, uh, three straight games and, and not having a traditional camp and a traditional offseason. But these are things that we knew going into this season, Scott, that we were going to have to deal with. And, and, and we're at this point now and the bye couldn't come at a better time. And it's a great time to refocus, uh, get back to the fundamentals, especially when it comes to, to the penalties. We have to we have to stop that. Or we're not going to be successful for the rest of the season, because I'll tell you this, Scott, the, the schedule's not going to get any easier. You know, Memphis just lost in a, in a, you know, in a, in a nail breaker at the end of the game. And uh, they were a top 25 team. So they feel like they can't really lose any make more games because they have aspirations to win the conference again, just like UCF. So I, I feel this game right here 
is they always say the next game is the biggest game, but this literally is the biggest game of the season. So I mean, uh, it's a good thing that we got to buy. Hopefully, we can get most of our players back before we have to, you know, go out to Memphis the following week. Dudes, you said it from from the outset here as we began two nights one podcast today is yes out of out of the Knights' hands is the possibility of playing in one of those New Year's Six games take on Memphis this week that could be a, a huge momentum builder for a, a momentum builder for the Knights but but even crazier and you touched upon it uh, and and to begin the season this was three weeks ago. We were talking about the depth of this football team, yeah. and then look how quickly that now shifts. Because in the second half of that football game, you're playing without Greg McRae. You're playing without Bentavious Thompson. Otis Anderson gets nicked up. Marlon Williams did not look uh, to be 100%, and then you lose him at the end of the game with what we think might be uh, a concussion. You lose Stretch Creedle. Jacob Harris looked as if he was a little gimpy at times. And then, oh, by the way, on defense, your two all-conference safeties are out of the football game, and Randy Charlton didn't play all that much in that, that first half. So you go from three weeks ago to where you are now, and it just – that that pretty much surmises what what 2020 is, right? It's crazy. Just all the the list that you just you know stated. Our top three backs get banged up, right? Otis was trying to stick it out, really couldn't. Johnny Richardson had to finish the game. So imagine if we had to play this week with not our top three backs. Jacob Harris like Gimpy. I don't know if he could play. Marlon would probably be in concussion protocol. A uh, good thing is I did talk to Marlon. He is doing a, a lot better. Um, hopefully he'll be cleared. Uh, like I said, his safety is the most important thing, first and foremost, because, I, I mean, I think he had us all nervous uh, at the end of the game because he was on the, the ground for a while. But to see him walk away and, and, and uh, just talking to him, um, I think, believe I talked to him yesterday. He's, he's doing a lot better. Um, already Trey Nixon was banged up earlier this year. So you're talking about your top three receivers too, right, Scott? Um, and then you look at defense. Randy Charlton didn't play the first half. I'm, I'm not sure what happened with that. He came in the second half. And um, you just talk about the depth that we, you know, brag, kind of bragged about in the beginning of the year. It's, it's no longer there. But like I stated before, this is something that all the college football is dealing with. And this, these are the times when, because of the COVID virus, you know, teams weren't able to get a, a, a lengthy offseason. Also, weren't able to get a full training camp in. So, you know, you worry about things with the soft tissue injuries and, and then also like guys in contact, the concussions and stuff. You, you kind of worry about things like that. The penalties, the the, the pre-snap there on, on the offensive side of the ball. In, in your estimation, we, this is a combination of, of Dylan Gabriel. This is a combination of, of the offensive line and, and guys just not being on the same page. When you look back at it now here, several days removed, what what did you see was the biggest concern from some of those those uh, uh, penalties prior to the snap? First and the foremost, movement. the amount of them, Scott. I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you would you would think, you know, you would get no more than three, maybe four a game. But for us to have that many false start penalties and just not just this week, this is week three of them playing. So you usually would think after the first two weeks, the kinks would be out. Um, I th- a lot of it is timing. As you stated, our offense goes so fast that Dylan Gabriel has to check to the left and right to make sure his receivers and O-linemen are set before he hikes the ball because he has to think he's a lot closer to the football. Those receivers just ran down the field. The offensive lineman might have been on a screen or a run block. He has to get back and get set. So a lot of that is continuity, and we talked about it not you know, having the full offseason and not having the full training camp. But now 
after this week, it's we're a month into the season. Those shouldn't be excuses anymore. And it, and it starts, you know, at the quarterback position. You have to you have to take command of your huddle. Make sure you always look to the right to make sure people are set, even though you're trying to catch your defense off guard and get them, you know, maybe get them to jump offside. You got to first and foremost make sure you're everybody on your side of the ball is lined up and ready and knows the play. And, and you know that stems from from the top down coaches, uh, Dylan Gabriel, O linemen, receivers, and also no receiver should ever jump off sides. Like you're looking inside at the ball. So those are all mental aspects. We talked about it again, Scott. Uh, the pre-snap penalties kill you. you. You don't really worry about the in-between, the whistle, you know, penalties. Sometimes you're going to get a holding, a defensive pass interference. Those are aggressive penalties. Those happen throughout the course of the game, and you deal with that. But what really concerns you is the pre-snap penalties and the post-snap penalties. Those we have to fix, and we're, we're not going to win any games. Well, a, a veteran team here that Josh Heupel has here in year number three, and, and definitely if there was a week for a bye week to come, this this would be it to talk about Memphis. And, and one of the things that will change next Saturday for them is they'll have an increased amount of attendance compared to their first home game. It'll move from 4,500 or so to about 12,000. But again, that'll be in a couple weeks here for UCF and Memphis. And, and dudes, maybe let's let's kind of finish with this is if you're if you're Coach Heupel and this coaching staff, what do you tell these guys here during this this longer period of time before your next game out against Memphis? I mean, I, I know exactly what to tell them because I, I myself was in this situation in, in 2007 when we go to East Carolina and, and when we had Chris Johnson on the show a few weeks ago, we talked about it. Well, we lost to them. A lot of people thought we had no chance to even be in conference championship or let alone host the game. But Coach O'Leary kept telling us, you know, stay the course. If we take care of business for the rest of the season – we'll be right where we need to be at the end of the year. And then East Carolina ended up losing to Marshall. And then we end up hosting the conference championship versus, versus Tulsa and winning that game. So I would say I would holler to, or holler, uh, echo those words from Coach O'Leary if I was Coach Heupel. If you look at the schedule, we got Memphis still. We got Cincinnati. Those are, you know, presumably the two other top teams in, in the East Conference. And you don't want to overlook anybody because you, I think Tulsa is going to be a really good team. Who to say they don't run the table, you know, on the rest of their games, they end up hosting the conference championship. You don't know. But I know they still have to play, I believe, SMU and a, and a few other good teams in our conference. I get They have Tulane, too, who's usually a pretty good team. And I think it's at Tulane, so that could be a dangerous game for them. If we take care of our business and do what we're supposed to do, um, you know, going down the stretch, I believe that we'll end up in the conference championship, but we have no more room for error, right? Like, that was our one mulligan. And and for, for the goals that we had, you know, more over – you know, winning the conference, um, you know, those dreams might be done. But as far as, you know, winning another conference game and potentially maybe going to a New Year's Six Bowl, you know, I think that's still right in front of us. But we need to re regroup and reset. It's a perfect time for the buy, as we stated. But like I said, our schedule is not going to get any easier coming up the road. I mean, I believe, you know, we talked about this ECU. I think they had them ranked as the last team in the conference this year. You know, they, they, they had another, you know, I want to say poor showing versus Georgia State, but Georgia State kind of took care of business versus them. So, like, it's not like the schedule is going to get any easier for us, guys. Well, the Tulsa Golden Hurricane, they'll get a, a bye just like UCF before their next game against 11th-ranked Cincinnati the 17th of October. That'll be as well for UCF, their next game against Memphis. That'll be a 12 o'clock kickoff from the state of Oklahoma, and then Tulsa later on in the season, mid-November, has their matchup at home against 18th-ranked SMU. 
He's Leger Doosable. I'm Scott Adams. This has been Two Nights, One Podcast. We'll have another show coming up next week prior to the Memphis game. As always, dropping every Thursday morning and wherever you get your podcasts. Deuce, bye week. We'll enjoy it. We'll watch some college football and then get back at it uh, next week against Memphis. Yeah, got to get it done, man. Everybody, no praying for everybody. Hoping everybody heals up. But uh, let's get let's go get this win versus Memphis. Dudes, go Knights and charge on. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants—they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.